All right, everybody, welcome back to the showcase. I'm your host, Paris Jackson, on today's episode, trade deadline. You know what that means. Some winners, some losers, and some things moving around the league, and I'm here to capture it all, give you some quick updates on everything. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the showcase. top of the show we had to give a quick rest in peace to elgin baylor i mean one of those players that personally i never got to, to see play obviously because he played throughout the 60s joining the league in, in 1958 and playing all the way through 71 but whose impact was felt around the league through his passing and kind of changed the game from what i hear you know you hear different people talk about how he played and his impact on the game and what he brought to it just by being a great all-around athlete and scorer and basically adding the jump shot to the game. Uh, he was on that Lakers team that met up against Bill Russell repeatedly and just was never able to get over the hump and complete a championship. Ultimately, what a legacy, though. You know, I always have a, a kind of saying, I think if you make it into your 80s, then, you know, you've lived a, a full, well life. You had an opportunity to see your kids grow up and your grandkids most likely have been born at that point and you seen a whole lot of stuff by that time and for Elgin I think that he was able to see a bunch of stuff now of course I don't know him personally and only knew him from books and highlights and things like that and documentaries about the 60s but from what I've been able to see he's had a lasting impact from his days in the Minneapolis Lakers all the way up through you know having a court named after him at Seattle and having a tournament named after him to 2018 when he got a statue outside of staple center i mean once you get to see all that type of stuff you can definitely say life fulfilled and life lived well um and you know i'm sure the lakers community is, is very hurt by his passing and everything like that but at the same time they'd have to take solace in the fact that he got to live a long life and if anybody ever wants to see him or there's a statue outside of Staples Center, and that's not going anywhere. So rest in peace to one of the greats, Elgin Baylor, for sure. But uh, today we're talking trade deadline. You know, today was a, fear, a flurry as it always is. You know, I'm sure there's a ton of other content that you guys could be listening to about the trade deadline. So thank you for kicking it with me and hearing my take on everything. Looking around the league, I think there's definitely some opinions about what went on today and you know, some of it I agree with and some of it I don't. I think there were some teams that made some moves that made a lot of sense and, and I want definitely want to dig into that and some teams that I just don't know what they were thinking through the moves that they made. So, you know, the main, I think, obviously, categorization of these two different types of moves that these teams could be making is basically you had your buyers and you had your sellers, right? Like your buyers are people that are in a position to – get one or two extra guys on the squad that think that they think is going to propel them and their team to the next level. Sure, maybe they give up some people or, or, or give up some cap space in doing so, but by, you know, trading and, 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 and adding these people to their roster, well, they definitely take a step forward. And then you have the sellers. You have the teams where, hey, they're five, six, seven games outside of even that tenth spot, uh, you know, which serves as the playing game. And they know for a fact that this year just isn't their year. and Very likely next year is not going to be their year either. So they can give up a key guy and look to the future and build. And 
Honestly, at this trade deadline, I feel like I'm more impressed with the sellers than I am with the buyers. I think the buyers kind of overpaid and the sellers were able to potentially make out like bandits depending on the value that you place on what they received back for some key guys that ultimately may have been on an expiring and may have left. So I wanted to dig into that today. And I think the the main one that has gone through so much this year has been the Houston Rockets. Now, I know a few of you just did a major eye roll at the Houston Rockets because the sentiment around NBA Twitter and, and different, you know, media outlets that have talked about it have talked how the Rockets went from a championship contending team to basically having the worst record in the league, uh, second worst after the Timberwolves, which is actually impressive that you can go 1-21 and and still not have the worst record in the league. But, you know, I'm... I think I have a different opinion than most on the moves that the Rockets have been making. And in so, you know, I went ahead and, and went back and kind of tracked everything that's been going on, at least this year, for the Rockets. And, and we it really obviously all starts with Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni leaving the team, right? And there were some, obviously, ripple effects before that. I think, you know, everybody points to, you know, Chris Paul being traded for Russell Westbrook and with Chris Paul leaving, a ton of draft picks went for him, and all that was brought in to make James Harden happy, and don't get me wrong, I mean, you do whatever you can when you're at the precipice, and you think you're going to be able to add something to team chemistry to give over a hump that you've relatively been in for almost a decade, where you can't move past a certain team, or get out of even the Western Conference, having only made a Western Conference Finals, what, once or twice in a a span of seven, eight, nine years, and being handily stopped by, you know, one or two teams, the Rockets were in a position where they did everything they can to appease their main superstar, including bringing in a, what I still think is a terrible contract, and, I, I, and, and in that, bringing in Russell Westbrook. But, you know, the real moves were starting to be made once Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni definitely left, and Steven Silas and Raphael Stone stepped in place instead. And I think Really, they did the best that they could this year, given the hand that they were dealt, right? You had a superstar that was already upset, James Harden, and they made some moves to try to appease him, but ultimately, you know, he pushed his way out. And once you were at that point, you kind of have to just blow up the team or see what you got and if you can put the pieces together. And I think they did a great job so far this season doing so. So, just to quickly run you through everything that the Rockets have done, at least this season, right, going all the way back to November, it started the year, they had flipped Robert Covington into Trevor Ariza and Isaiah Stewart, right, which was, you know, definitely raised some eyebrows, you saw how things were going to be shaken up after that trade was made, but nevertheless, I mean, bringing in Trevor Ariza, I think made a lot of sense, for a 3 and D type situation, even though Robert Covington would probably be an upgrade from Trevor Ariza, you also were bringing in Isaiah Stewart, who at the center position seemed to be a good draft pick, and I think that made sense. But then, literally in a matter of days, they flipped Trevor Ariza and Isaiah Stewart into you know a first-round pick, a second-round pick, and Christian Wood, right? And bringing in Christian Wood, he who had been quietly making a name for himself in Detroit, finally got cashed out, kind of eye-rising for Detroit, 
to go ahead and flip him out, I thought they definitely would have kept him, especially what they were kind of building, bringing in Mason Plumley and Jeremy Grant, but maybe just the chemistry didn't make sense or they didn't want to pay him or whatever. But ultimately, they turned Robert Covington into a first-round pick, a second-round pick, and Christian Wood, which I would say at that point were an upgrade, right? Then they traded a second-round pick for Kenyon Martin Jr. Nothing really there, right? He's a whatever player. You're losing a second-rounder. It doesn't really matter. They proceed to do some guard moving around with Austin Rivers, Sergio Illy, and a name I cannot pronounce for another name I can't pronounce. But basically what you have to know is that they, they free up $3.5 million in cap space by getting rid of Austin Rivers and, and some other guys that they just had on two-way contracts and, and would later waive anyway. But then here comes the blockbuster trade that a lot of people, I think, were scratching their heads at because of the amount of uncertainty that it brought, and that's with shipping out Russell Westbrook, who, as explosive as he was, just didn't elevate the team in a way that a Rockets think they should have coming out of that 2020 season. And they were taking a massive gamble in bringing in John Wall, a player who hadn't played in years, coming off one of the worst injuries, basically, that he had twice in the span of recovery, and bringing in John Wall. But they were also able to get a first-rounder plus a couple of second-rounders, right? So at this point, they're looking pretty good, having turned basically Russell Westbrook, Austin Rivers, and Robert Covington into Christian Wood, John Wall, and a whole slew of picks at this point, right? I think they're at two of each. And from a cap standpoint, they're in a pretty good position. Yes, John Wall has a pretty terrible contract, but so did Russell Westbrook's, and really nothing lost there. Robert Covington's contract was pretty favorable, but it's comparable to what Christian Wood was getting. So from a cap standpoint, you've brought in two, call them dynamic pieces, and gotten rid of what I think is slowly becoming a player at past their prime who maybe only has a couple of good years left unless he really changes the way that he plays. And I know, you know, Russell Westbrook can go out and get you a triple-double any night, right? Like, that's he's played like that, right? No problem. But the problem is he's inconsistent, can't really shoot, and unfortunately, the way he gets his knees scoped, I don't think he has very much time left in the league at that explosive level where he can go and just grab you a triple-double whenever. There's some people that are going to kill me over this, but I don't care. This is really what I think. So then you have that move happen, and and you all of this is still to appease James Harden, right? But ultimately, I think it did nothing to get, to keep him because in a matter of weeks, you had him push his way out. I mean, December 2nd, they make the, the Russell Westbrook trade, and six weeks later— Right, and you get a little bit of a break for Christmas, right? But the season hadn't even started when the John Wall trade had happened, and he had remained out, and you never really got a bunch of games where they had everybody together. And they brought in Boogie Cousins on a vet minimum, and that's something to be excited about. I think the Rockets were making solid moves to try and put some pieces around James Harden that, while albeit a bit of a gamble, could bear more fruit than what had been going on. But January 14th rolls around, and here comes the blockbuster four-team trade where basically they turn Harden into Oladipo, Rodion's Kurix. That's a tough one, too. A lot of 
strange names today. Rodion's Kirks, Dante Exum, Oladipo, three unprotected picks, a first-round pick via Milwaukee, and four pick swaps. I mean, you made out like a bandit like that. But the other thing that I think goes largely unnoticed in all this moving around is you freed up $10 million in cap space with this move that you can go out and spend on other players. And while it doesn't really matter, you have to remember that the owner of the Rockets is largely wealthy based on his companies that basically are largely dependent on live events and restaurants and being out and that hasn't happened in a year so saving 10 mil for somebody like that i mean i think that goes a long way especially as as leveraged as their as his wealth is which i think a lot of people don't take into consideration so you have an unhappy superstar you have a ton of stuff on on the bill you have two of the worst contracts in the league at least you can turn them into one and hope that there's a ton of upside and keep them happy and then you have these young pieces coming around. So all in all, I feel like I'm building a case for the Rockets here. Then you trade a second rounder for Kevin Porter Jr. And of course he has his locker room problems in Cleveland. And But he's proven to be explosive. And honestly, since he's come to the Rockets, has played very, very well. And we've heard nothing about what happens off the court, which is exactly what you want for somebody that's in, in trouble, quote unquote. But... They're not done there. They continue to make some moves. And, you know, a few weeks later is when they do this P.J. Tucker trade a few weeks ago. Again, another player from their championship run who ultimately deserved to go to a contender who had been great for you, but you know that the Rockets basically were done because they get into this very long losing streak that's frustrated and leading into the All-Star break. But they flipped... Rodion Kurix, who they had just got, and P.J. Tucker, a second-rounder and a first-rounder, into D.J. Augustine, D.J. Wilson, a second-round pick swap, and a first-round pick, right? And you would think, okay, well, you know, they turned P.J. Tucker basically into a couple of picks and, and two D.J.'s. But the point is that you did right by P.J. Tucker by getting him to a championship contender, right? You did right by him, and... Again, continue to leverage the future, right? Now, fast forward to today, and you have Oladipo, who you got in the Harden trade, and hey, he's in a contract year. Maybe he can fit in with some of the other pieces and do well in what you know you would hope would be the future in the play. But I would argue that Oladipo isn't the same player he was pre-injury on the Pacers. Like The Pacers are just as good, if not better, without him than they were with him. So he's proven between that and between, you know, what the output has been while he's been in Houston that, yeah, maybe he can help out a contender, but he's not a cornerstone guy. He, he's not going to be your first option or your second option. He's not going to be the, the peanut butter to John Wall's jelly. Like, that's not going to happen to get you to the next level. And ultimately, you're still building for the future. So you bring in Avery Badley, you bring in Kelly Olynyk, sure, right? But what that actually does is free up an additional four mil to get you under the cap. And really, through a ton of maneuvers, right? Like, because it's hard to keep track at this point, unless you got a pen and a paper and you're, you're saying, hey, he went here and he went here and I'm over there and you're up, down, left, round, R1, R2, left, you know what I mean? Like, unlimited ammo, cheat code, GTA, that's where we're at now through all these maneuvers. 
But ultimately what the Rockets have turned this into is six first-round picks, six pick swaps, and yeah, they'll probably be in the, somewhere in the 20s because they're coming from pretty good teams, but regardless, you're still in the top 30. A second-rounder, Christian Wood, Kevin Porter Jr., who you can start to build around, a rejuvenated John Wall, who who knows how he goes, but in three years, if he's absolute garbage, well, he would have been Russell Westbrook anyway, and you only got three years left on him. I'd rather see John Wall for three years than Russell Westbrook, that's for sure. And you got rid of these two awful, awful contracts and ultimately a superstar that would have poisoned your locker room throughout this rebuild. So overall, I think the Rockets are going to get absolutely slayed by the media for quote-unquote turning in, refusing to get Levert and Jared Allen and turning them into Kelly Olynyk and Avery Bradley. But anybody that says that isn't looking at the entire picture of what the Rockets have been doing this season. Right, like, Because if you look at the entire picture, you'll understand that all of this was to leverage the future, take the poison out of the locker room, bring in some joy, and help a struggling owner <laughs> alleviate some cap space, all the while putting into motion the plans of a brand new GM and a brand new coach who ultimately was kind of handed a shitty hand <laughs> coming into the season with what was going on at the tail end of this you know rockets run that they had made where they had been largely successful right a one seed in there overall heading into the playoffs a western conference finals appearance an mvp season and multiple mvp caliber seasons from a single player but ultimately their hands were tied with what they were able to do at the end of it, and I think they did their best to make this lemonade out of lemons. So the Rockets, I think, were the biggest seller of winning seller of the day. I would be hard-pressed to find a way to be upset with what they were able to do with what they were dealt, given everything else that was around. Now, on paper, you can definitely say they've gotten a, a lot worse, probably will end up in the last spot. But hey, maybe that means that they go ahead and get a really high draft pick and can continue to build towards the future. And I would bet that they're back faster than a lot of people realize. So so let's take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about the other seller, I think, one today. So the other big winner that I think obviously was the biggest seller of the day had to go to the Orlando Magic, right? Without a doubt, they were the ones that also kind of just fleeced their team. But very much like the Rockets, the Magic have been a team that since pulling these pieces together in 2014 have really struggled to even get out of the first round of the playoffs. I mean, the last two years they've made the playoffs and won a total of two games before basically getting gentlemen swept out and have really proven that this team that they've constructed has not been able to make big splashes in the league. And a little bit has been injury, right? Like Markel Fultz, down. Jonathan Isaacs, really promising, down. Mo Bamba, down. Cole Anthony, down. Like a lot of their players have just been really, really injury prone and that's obviously limited how far they've been able to go during the season, which affects seeding. And then, you know, if they have to play the team that's consistently being the best in the East, then it's going to be a struggle every single year. But that being said, 
they've finally, finally, finally made the decision to just focus on their young core and build around it. While it's injury prone, I, th- I think it's the right move for the Magic. I mean, they shed Fournier, they shed Aaron Gordon, and shed Vucevic, along with 18 mil in salary cap space. And in a season, that would definitely be a loss. I mean, currently, they're sitting five games out of, out of that last 10 seed spot, right? So damn near the bottom, right? I think there's a couple of teams with a worse record, but they don't have a favorable schedule. And it's made even worse by the fact that they have so many injuries. So they might as well start the tank a little bit early. Granted, the tank, you know, doesn't work as well as it used to because they fixed the draft lottery odds a little bit. But nevertheless, they've had to start the tank in order to go ahead and move forward and pass this. So I think they were a huge winner. I think they got a a great haul back in shedding who they've shed, and and I think they came out winners. I mean, on on the way back in, they got, you know, RJ Hampton, who I think has a lot of upside. I was surprised that Denver gave him away as quickly as they did, but I think – RJ Hampton has has definite upside. Wendell Carter Jr. has played very well, a little bit on the injury prone. Well, I think picking up Otto Porter Jr.'s contract was a little bit much. I think he's been, he's been overpaid. I think somebody in my group chat said that he's been paid more than the top or more than everyone except the top ten active NFL superstars right now. But with that being said, he Whatever, that's not his fault if people want to pay him, you know? But they had to get rid of Vucevic, who was making 26 mil. He's making 28. And they got rid of Alfa Rukamino, who's, to my knowledge, hasn't been having a great season either. And really the one I'm most excited about is RJ Hampton coming to the, to the team, even though now they're a bit guard-heavy at the point guard position, but they can take their pick. And, you know, if Cole Anthony doesn't work out for them or they choose to move on from Markel Fultz, R.J. Hampton could easily slide in and and has time to develop into a really good star. So at the guard position, I think they're set. You add Mo Bamba and Jonathan Isaac, you know, protecting the rim. And you have a team that has a lot of upside, ultimately will struggle. But that's also why they traded for all these first-round picks. I mean, they got basically three out of today's deals, plus a couple of guards. Shed a, a shit ton of cap salary cap and you know have brought in a vet and jeff teague who can kind of train up these young guys so i think the magic actually did really well today to go ahead and 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 set themselves up in the future so of the sellers i think you know between the rockets and the magic they've they did really well at this trade deadline given the cards that they were dealt and given the situation of the league where you know the buyers that were buying didn't want to pay too much but ultimately did and they were able to leverage a lot of their key guys into some great moves so good job magic good job rockets but now let's switch over and talk about the buyers for a bit i think the biggest buyer of the day was denver i mean they brought in javel mcgee they brought in aaron gordon that obviously they've added a lot of size to their team. But what I think they ended up losing was the guard position. I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, Gary Harris isn't the best freaking guard since sliced bread, but I'm not really sure that bringing in 
Aaron Gordon gives them the correct like win now feel that I think they were looking for, and they've leveraged R.J. Hampton, who I just talked about, plus losing Gary Harris, who was good to get you, you know, 12 to 18 points on any given night and add something on the defensive end. But they'll need Will Barton to, to step up and stay healthy. But I'll, I feel these moves, like bringing in JaVale, bringing in Aaron Gordon, right, like getting bigger, basically, and adding some depth at the 4-5 position is to combat what they went through in the playoffs versus the Lakers last year. I mean, their road to where eventually they got gentlemen swept was, I'm not going to say easy, but I mean, they had a 3-1 that they climbed out of against Utah through, through some phenomenal guard play from Jamal Murray. Then they had another 3-1 hole that they climbed out of, but that's more the Clippers collapsing, because if you think back, they Clippers were up big in multiple of those closeout games and were just ultimately flat in the second half. And I don't know if it was psychological or emotional or just depression or whatever, but the Clippers completely collapsed. But when they ran into the Lakers and that team of, you know, LeBron and AD down low, and sure, you know, uh, KCP and, and Rondo and, and the guards definitely stepped up for the Lakers, no doubt about it. Uh, Alex Caruso played well. But that size of LeBron and AD, and, and you add Marcus Gasol to that, like, that's going to be tough. And I think the Nuggets are preparing to go to war against that because I think they know that they're going to have to play the Lakers at some point if they want to advance far in the finals. And adding this size is to basically to combat what they ran into when they got out of the bubble playoffs. But I think what they're banking on, unfortunately, is – Will Barton, Monte Morris playing very well, not exceptional, but very well, and Jamal Murray to be who he was in the bubble playoffs. Now, Jamal Murray is having a career high this season, scoring 21 points a game, and that's all good and well. But they need him to go back to where he was, scoring, you know, 26 and a half a game, getting, you know, double doubles, triple doubles, right? Like dropping 50 against the Jazz. Like they need that Jamal Murray for this plan to work. And they need Aaron Gordon, obviously, to, to just be so elated that he's on the actual championship contender team to play out of his mind. And Jokic to continue this run of damn near MVP, best offensive performance that he's ever had. They need all that to continue for this to work. And so I'm not completely sold on these moves from Denver, but the price that they paid, I mean, it wasn't astronomical, right? They gave up a couple second-round picks and some center that didn't get a lot of minutes in Isaiah Hartenstein for JaVale McGee. Then they gave up Gary Harris, who hopefully Gary Clark can do well. Uh, and R.J. Hampton was probably the biggest loss, but again, gave up a first-round pick where they probably won't need, and hopefully Aaron Gordon can step into place so i'm not completely convinced that this won't work but i think it's going to take a lot and you know we'll see what happens with that the other big buyer i think was chicago right chicago really shook it up today i mean having vucevic out or bringing in vucevic bringing in al farouk aminu bringing in jory brown jr bringing in daniel tice and sending out you know four players who likely aren't very much household names, but Otto Porter Jr. was playing well this year. Wendell Carter was kind of playing well this year. Daniel Gafford was playing well. 
for a rookie in the in the small minutes he get. Luke Cornette, you know, he he was a good like daily fantasy guy if you wanted to add him in at low salary. But other than that, you know, nothing too crazy. But Chicago has done done the biggest shakeup. I was really surprised that they didn't bring in really like another wing and decided to go ahead and and build up basically the center position. Vucevic is great, and hopefully he'll play really really well with Zach Levine and Kobe White and, and some of the other players that Chicago has. And I think as far as the team that made the moves that have the biggest upside but also potentially the biggest downside is going to be Chicago, right? Like Chicago, you know, had, had their ownership and, and their front office came out and said that they want to be a free agent destination and they want to be somewhere that, that plays well and bring in a high-quality caliber player. So maybe they're playing for the future, by coming out and saying that and making these trades but ultimately you know chicago made some moves today that have a lot of, a lot of upside and we don't know exactly how far the downside goes in that you know they had to give up wendell carter jr really that's the only guy that i'm like well maybe you shouldn't have gave him up but you had to give up something to get vucevic right bringing in daniel tice i mean i really didn't like his play on the celtics i, I don't think he's I think he's overrated, right? I don't think he's really all that great. I don't think he's terrible. I don't think he should be your your starting center, but he doesn't have to be behind Vucevic. So bringing him in is, is you know TBD at this point. But Chicago ultimately, I think, has done some moves that could pan out really, really well for a team that's currently in the playoffs and, and looking to get out of that play-in game. So shout out Chicago. The team that Daniel Tice came from, though, the Boston Celtics, can't say I'm as excited as if for them for their moves. I mean, bringing in Mo Wagner, bringing in Luke Cornett, bringing in Evan Fournier, losing Jeff Teague. I feel like you know you pretty much a wash there. But it's kind of weird to bring in another guard in Fournier. And I mean, you give up Jeff Teague in a second rounder, but from a cap space standpoint, it gets really really tight. And I don't know if maybe there was some locker room stuff where they just wanted to get rid of certain people or whatever but i mean the people that they brought in i don't think make the celtics any better they literally don't i don't i don't think it is anything and i've heard you know you know obviously the the media wants to spin it that there's some locker room trouble and you had Jalen brown this week come out and basically put the cap emoji and say that everything's all good and well but of course they're always going to say that but the celtics moves kind of had had me head scratching a bit and i don't think they played this trade deadline very well i think they were better off doing nothing than making all these moves that led to basically them acquiring Evan fournier like are you kidding me like he's having a career high don't get me wrong but really like that's the guy that's going to take the celtics to the next level and maybe he plays the one with Jalen brown at the two but then you have kemba walker right you're going to start evan fournier over kevin walk kemba walker maybe if his knees give out but so you're going to have him come off the bench and maybe train up these young guys? I don't know. I don't know if, if the Celtics got their head on straight because I, I really can't make heads or tails of that move, and, and honestly, I don't want to. I, I, that's a head-scratcher. Which brings me to my next team that I want to talk about, which is the Los Angeles Clippers. And, <laughs> man, Lou Will for Rajon Rondo, I was just like, what? the hell is going on why would you make that move you're literally giving away the archetypal six man who has the most pence 
points off the bench in league history for a guy that's well past his prime and also for the last 10 seasons his team has been better with him off the court than with him on it why because he was astounding in a series and for a couple of games right like rajon rondo like don't get me wrong rajon rondo you know he was he was great in boston you know but since then it's just been like why would you want him? You don't even have like a young team where he needs to like coach up some some people unless you want him to do that for like Terrence Man, Terrence Man, Terrence Man. Wow, that was hard for me to say. But even still, man, I think like giving up Lou Will for Rajon Rondo and then yo, what drove me crazy was today on the jump, Robert Horry had the audacity as soon as this trade went through to say that Rajon Rondo coming to the Clippers, he. Nobody mentioned that Lou Will was being gone, right? But Rajon Rondo, he, he left that part out, even though it was announced in the trade. He left this part out that Rajon Rondo coming to the L.A. Clippers elevated them to the favorite to win the NBA title. Like, that is mind-blowing. That is mind-blowing to me that you can bring in Rajon Rondo, lose Lou Will, and be catapulted into the number one spot especially especially with how stacked the west is like that is absolutely crazy talk to me that's crazy that robert horry could say that i think the clippers got worse i think that i would be looking over my shoulder if i was you know anywhere close to Kawhi or paul george and them leaving could could affect me in any way paul george of course is you know, in a longer contract than Kawhi, but Kawhi could very much leave this summer if he wanted to. And that's the scary thing for the Clippers. That's freaking wild to me. Uh, I think them and the Celtics are probably the biggest losers of the day. Uh, and just, I'm just mind blown at that. I don't, I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent, but that shit blew my mind <laughs> when the Clippers did that today. I was like, Steve, bomber baby what are you doing man that is not it that is not it other quick quick ones from the day toronto was honey dicking everyone with putting kyle lowry out there you know that was the talk all day is it gonna happen is it not gonna happen is it gonna happen is it not gonna happen they ended up picking up gary trent jr and rodney hood who i i liked their play from when they were on portland but they gave up norman powell so I think they might be moving towards a rebuild soon. But I thought it was just funny. They were honey-dicking people all day about, you know, are you are we going to trade Kyle Lowry or not? You know, take all these offers. And ultimately, Masai said, nope, none of them are good enough. And I don't want to do that to Kyle. So, you know, Norman Powell, thank you very much. But we'll take Gary Trent. We'll take the cap space. We'll move on to next year. And Kyle can either go. And, and peace out and free agency, and we'll ride with our guys. The biggest winner probably of the day had to be the Miami Heat, right? I think they got rid of a bunch of players they didn't need in Kelly Olynyk and Avery Bradley and, and flipped them into Oladipo. Aldridge being bought out in San Antonio and, and ultimately going to come over to the team for a vet minimum makes them a lot better, you know, putting Aldridge behind Bam Adebayo adding Old Oladipo to the wings that they already got. He doesn't need to be the number one guy there because you have Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic, Tyler Hero that you're still building around. Like Miami team quietly won the day for sure for, from a buyer 
perspective. I think the Rockets and the Magic definitely won the day because they're obviously the biggest sellers and their haul was really good. But the Heat were quietly the winners of the day. And, and I'd like to see how Norman Powell plays into Portland and where their trajectory goes. But I would put them as 1A and 1B for sure as the two teams that won the day very, very quietly in making these small moves that end up, I think, paying off big. Other than that, I think that pretty much wraps it up on the trade talk. Um, you know, we saw the Warriors get rid of a couple players. Uh, I think that was really just a cap cap space play. Um, you know, Dallas picked up J.J. Redick and Nicolo Melli, so they got some shooters, got rid of James Johnson, who I think you could trade James Johnson for Nicolo Melli and get the same production. Um, adding J.J. Redick and his vet experience was really, really good, too. But interesting move for the Pelicans to get rid of those two, who I thought were two of their their better three point shooters. Um, and that's pretty much it. I think nothing nothing else like happened today that was really like groundbreaking. Um, and that's where we're at. Biggest winner of the day, definitely the Heat. Second winner, Portland. On the buying side, on the selling side. We had the Magic and the Rockets coming up big, in my opinion, and, and especially given all the context of surrounding the moves that happened today. Um, and I think it's just, it was a great day. I, I love NBA trade deadline day. I think that, you know, all sports, I, I wish the trade deadline was this, I think, impressive. I think the NFL trade deadline is kind of like passe, meh. There's too many players on the field anyway for like a couple of guys to really impact. Uh, same with baseball. I just don't understand it. I don't follow it. But I think a single guy can impact baseball a lot better. Like if you get a really good hitter, or a really good pitcher. Um, not so much like an outfield guy. But, uh, you know, and then all the single sports, there's no there's no real trades. Um, and then hockey, I just don't understand. But NBA trade deadline is fun like this every single year. Every year, it's just like, oh, man, well, like, how, how's that going to impact that team in the future? And what's going to happen? And yada, yada, yada. Um, and it, it's all fast and furious. It's in a couple of hours, especially on the West Coast. I mean, everything's done by lunch, you know. And uh, then you can kind of go through it throughout the day and then use your back half of the day to talk about it and, and think about it and all that stuff. And it's a lot of fun. Um, I've, I thoroughly enjoyed trade deadline. And, you know, appreciate you guys rocking with me through all, all my rants and stuff today. And then hope you guys had some, some good takeaways. And ultimately, if you disagree with me or agree with me or whatever, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at PJ Showcase or on Instagram at PJ Showcase or drop me a review. I'm trying to get to 100 reviews total on Apple iTunes. So if you haven't done one yet, I'd appreciate it if you take, you know, two, three minutes to find this podcast episode on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and just leave me a five-star review or, or hell, leave me a three-star review and tell me that you hate my voice. I don't care. I just want to get 100 reviews to see, you know, what the people think. So definitely would appreciate that if you could take a couple minutes to do so. Uh, be back next week. You know, I, I skipped a week and that's on me, but, um, you know, just not much to talk about. But as we head into this last leg of the season, definitely, definitely going to be in front of you. Um, but as always, thanks for listening. Hope, hope the day is beautiful, whether you're driving or chilling at home or, you know, cruising through the zone. I'm PJ. This is the Showcase. And everybody enjoy your day.